Oh, come on. Good morning. Hey, everybody, welcome uh, to Livingstone Calvary Chapel, our first outdoor service of the year. Looks like God's blessed us with beautiful weather and uh, a little cloud cover, and we had a slight breeze earlier, and that was, that was kind of nice. So, a slight breeze, if we could pray that in, that'd be good. <laughs> um, in your uh, bulletins, there's a few announcements that I want to draw to your attention, if I can find my announcements. Oh, here they are. Um, after church today, we will have hamburgers, grilled hamburgers and grilled hot dogs ready for your guys' consumption and enjoyment and fellowship. So please stay. Um, Andy's counted everybody and he's prepared two burgers and two hot dogs for everybody. So if you leave, that means somebody's going to have to eat four or something. So, um, and, and it's going to be real simple. We have water and we have iced tea and we have hamburgers and hot dogs with the, the condiments to go with that and then, and then a bag of chips. And so um, right after church, they'll all be there and you can get in line and get your thing and then come and sit and visit and hang out and maybe say hi to someone who is new. And if you're new here this morning, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us. Also, if, if you stay here till two, that's fine. If you leave and you can come back, that would be good as well. But at um, 2 o'clock today, if you're interested, we are going to have here at the church the first meeting. Thank you. The first meeting for the community youth center that we're opening up downtown. Uh, we're in the process of uh, uh, renting out an 11,000 square foot building between 3rd and 4th Street on Main. And uh, we're going to be converting that into a youth center. And. and um, it's going to be, it's going to have a stage, there's going to be music, there's going to be vending machines, there's going to be a small coffee bar, there's going to be um, video games that the kids can play, and TVs, and pool tables, and air hockey, and ping pong, and, and just a safe place for the kids to come and hang out in this community, and, and um, really there's nothing like that here, as you guys know, and as you also know, the youth in this town... Um, need some people to be an influence in their lives. And so we're going we're gonna to bridge that gap, and we're inviting other churches in the community to, to partner with us in that. And, um, but first, we're going to start with you guys. I read an article a few months ago about some of the, the problems that we have in our community with homelessness and drug abuse and, and how the youth are negatively affected. And, and, and really that we as a church, we're called we're called and, and we're better equipped than anyone else as the church to really minister to those who are in need in this situation. And God's opened the door and He's provided for this opportunity to do this. And uh, we're going to walk through that door that God's opened and, and see what He'll do. At that time, there was a ton of you who raised your hand and said that you'd be willing to help when we got something in place as far as being able to reach the, those who are in need in our community. And and um, if you can help with your time, if you can help with your ideas, if you can help with your resources, um, um, that would be much appreciated. And if you could attend this meeting to kind of see where you might fit in and to offer also suggestions of what we might be able to do down there um, to better serve the kids in our community, we want your guys' feedback, your input, and your support. So Tuesday, or excuse me, at 2 o'clock today here at the church, we're going to be doing that. Um, the rest of the announcements there are, are old announcements. You can read through those and um, 
on your own and, and kind of figure out what's going on there. Um, also, uh, just an update on Sherry Vanderputten. The last surgery that she had was successful. Um, she is, yeah, praise God, she is in recovery and there is a little bit of confusion that she's experiencing as a result of the multiple times they had to go in and do the surgery in, on her brain. And so if you guys know Paul and Sherry, and, and if you've met her at church, I'm sure you guys have, um, she is in need of familiar faces. I don't know how else to say it. The more familiar faces that she can see during this time when she's going to be in the hospital, uh, in the recovery and rehabilitation part of it, she'll be there, is it to the 24th, Paul? Yeah, to the 24th. The more people that can go, and even if you can just stop in for 15 minutes and say hello, and she'll recognize you, but that's going to help her reorientate with her current surroundings and, and the people here in the church. And, and not only that, just, it just examples God's love um, when we go to those who we can love on in our family. So if you want details, more details about that, you can speak to Paul or you can speak to me or, or even Vicki knows the room number and, and what hospital and so, please, take the opportunity. There's a need to do that. Um, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, chapter 5. And I gave you guys a handout, and you're going to need this in a little while, so have it prepared. And i got to change the batteries out on this thing, so while you're turning to Genesis, chapter 5, if you'll turn there with me, I'm going to replace the batteries real quick. Test. There I am. Better. Genesis chapter 5. Now, if you guys have read ahead, you know that this is a, a chapter that records a, the, a genealogy. And, um, you know, when we study the Bible, I've, you guys know, most of you know, if you've been coming here for a while, that we study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we don't skip anything. Um, not even the genealogies. You know, and lots of times when we come to the to the genealogical accounts, like in the book of Chronicles, for example, and, and, and other places like this, when we get to chapter 11, there's going to be another genealogical account that we're going to go through. But we, when, when you're reading on your own, you might have that tendency to just kind of go, and, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and then you stop and you find where the end of all those begots and so-and-sos are at, and then you restart, you pick back up and start reading again. Because they can kind of be laborious and maybe even a little boring, but I want to show you this morning that within these gene, geneal, genealogies, these, these historical records, there's some pretty cool things for us to take note of. And so don't, I encourage you from what we go through this morning that you can see that there's just, there's no need to just skip right through them. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of cool things in here that the Holy Spirit is wanting us to know, um, not only about these people, but what they did and how... Um, the accounts that are here really relate to our lives today. Maybe even tell us um, uh, some stories. So as we begin, um, I want to, let's, let's just kind of bring up to speed. Last week, we made it most of the way through chapter 4. There's really like two verses left in chapter 4 that we're going to kind of look at. But in chapter 4, we read and we studied about the descendants of Cain. 
They, there, it was more than just a genealogical account of the descendants of Cain. Remember, Cain is the one who killed his brother Abel. And, and, uh, <coughs> and those who descended from Cain were a godless people. And a, and a godless people who further separated themselves from the face of God. But in the last two chapters of, uh, last two verses of chapter 4, we're told about Seth. Seth is the third son, or another son who had been born to Adam and Eve. And through the genealogy of Seth, which we're going to read about in chapter 5, there's this introduction to a second civilization of men, who according to chapter 4, verse 24, men who began to call upon the name of the Lord. Or, or as some translations read, it might say men who were called by the name of the Lord. And the point is, is that these descendants of Cain who separated themselves from the face of God, they were much different than the, than the descendants of Seth who identified themselves as the Lord's. Likewise, we today who identify ourselves or identify as Christians, we are those who call upon the name of the Lord, or those who are called by the name of the Lord. And just like um, there was a notable difference between Cain's descendants and, and we'll see with Seth's descendants, there should also be a notable difference between us and those in this world who have made a choice to separate themselves from the face of God today. There needs to be a difference in our lives, in the way we live, in the way we speak, in the things that we do. And, 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 and um, it, it, that difference is a testimony to those around us of who we love, of who we serve, of who we follow. Now, as we look into Genesis chapter 5, we're going to read this genealogy of the sons of God. That's a way of kind of describing, describing the, the, the Seth and his descendants. And it starts with Adam, and it goes all the way down in this first genealogical record, 10 generations, it goes down to Noah. And, and the same genealogical account is continued. There's a continuation of it in First Chronicles chapter 1, where it traces from Adam on down to Abraham. And this is a significant thing, and if, if you're here when we get to the book of Chronicles, we'll, we'll look at that. But more importantly, we see that the main purpose for this genealogical record here and then again in Chronicles and, 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 and once more as it's completed, we see the main purpose for the completed genealogical record which is recorded for us in, in, in Luke chapter 3. <coughs> verses 28 through 34, through, for, excuse me, from 23 to verse 38, we see the main purse is it traces the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the promised one, which we read about in, in, in chapter 3 a few weeks ago, is that records Jesus' genealogy from him all the way back to Adam. And even though that genealogical account has um, great theological importance, regarding the person of Jesus, specifically his humanity and his deity. You know, we're not going to dive into that this morning. What I want to point out is that the important thing for us to realize is that through our faith in Jesus, you and I today, through our faith in Jesus, we've become these sons of God. A part of these, if you will, these descendants of Seth who called upon the name of the Lord. In fact, this is summarized for us with some detail in, in, in the book of Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, which says, listen, 
It says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as as for as many of you as were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is now neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, he says, then you are Abraham's seed, the continued generation that we read about there in the book of Chronicles. And he says, the cool thing about that is that we're heirs of the promise. As, as, as in this line, as this is, is seeing ourselves grafted into this family line, we are therefore heirs of the promises of God. Now, when we consider all this in light of chapter 4, we are first told about the, the, the death of Abel. Now, think about this in the context of where we've been going and what we've been reading about, because in chapter 4, it's kind of a depressing chapter if you begin to think about it. Things are going good. Adam and Eve created. And God brings woman to man, and Adam's happy, and he sees that there's one created now for him, like him, and, and, and then things kind of fall apart from there, and we know that Adam and Eve, they sin, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin enters in, death enters in, but God gives a promise. God gives a promise of a redeemer, one who would crush Satan, crush sin, crush death, and so Cain, or, and so Cain and Abel are born, and there's this hope that maybe these guys are one of the redeemers, that they're, that they're the redeemer, that the Messiah, they're the promised one of God. But it, it, it comes out in chapter 4 pretty quickly when, when, Cain get ang- when Cain was angry and responded in bitterness by killing his brother, that, that things were going downhill pretty quickly. And then we read not only about Cain, but we read about how Cain separated himself from God, went to the land of Nod, the place of wandering, and he produced a whole bunch of godless descendants. And we see that even in the midst of this very bleak and dark situation, there's still this ray of hope with Seth and this genealogical account that we will read about. For remember, God had promised back in Genesis chapter 3, specifically in verse 15, He promised that a Redeemer would one day be born of the woman. And in light of this, we're reminded that God, as we read now today, the reminder, the underlying message to us is that God's sovereign. He's in control. Not only is God sovereign and, and, and in control of all things, what we see is that His plans cannot be frustrated by the foolish and sinful ways of men. Our foolish and sinful ways cannot disrupt God's plan for ourselves or for those around us. Ultimately, God remains in control. And I love Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, which declares this by saying, it says, God works all things according to the counsel of His will. God works all things according to the counsel of His will. And in doing so, as we see that taking place now in our, 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 our stories or our accounts here in the book of Genesis, we know that in doing so, in God doing things according to His will, He enabled Eve to once again conceive, to give birth and bear a son whom she named Seth, which means, and these are significant things I'm going to point out all the way through this chapter, is the meaning of these names of these descendants of Seth And Seth, his name means granted or appointed by compensation. 
And he was named this, or we see that he was given this name because God had appointed him to replace Abel. God still had a plan. With that, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and He blessed them. And He called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years, and he begot a son in his own likeness, and after his image, and he named him Seth. And after he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. And so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And then it says in verse 5, and he died. Let's stop there and, and let's pray. Father, I know, God, that you have words to speak to us, a revelation, God, through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so I pray, Lord, that <clears throat> as we study your word this morning, as, as I stand up here before your people, that you would use me, that I would be your mouthpiece, that it would be not my words, but your words, God, your truth that are being spoken to us, that we are receiving into our hearts. Father, may we see again your great love for us, your plan for us, your will for our lives, and may we humble ourselves to these things this morning. God, we're so grateful for you, you are. We're so thankful, God, for the things that you've done for us. And again, God, we recognize that and give you praise and glory this morning. We thank you for this beautiful letter and this place that we can worship together and study your word. Lord, you're the provider of everything good. Every good gift comes from you. Lord, help us see this and remember this today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, if you look back to the beginning of this chapter, the first thing that needs to be pointed out as we look at verse 1 is, is that we're again reminded here in chapter 5, some time away from the creation account, we're reminded that God created man, and when He did so, <coughs> that He created man in His likeness. Now, I know that we have a hard time remembering things, but God knows we're not dumb. He knows we can be foolish, but He knows we're not dumb. And He doesn't assume that we've just forgotten that, that God created us, as it's already been told in detail and accounted, and that when He did so, He, he, he created us in His likeness. And, and knowing that, we know that there must be a reason here for why it's being repeated. There's a significance to why it's mentioned now. And it's important for us to take note of this in now because there's a contrast between verse the things we read in verse 3 and this statement that we read of in verse 1. A contrast in where in verse 3 we're told that when Adam begot another son, it says his son was born in his own likeness after his image. And when we take those two verses side by side, we see something. We see that something has changed. Something changed In that, when man was created in the image of God, we know that he was created without sin. God did not create man with a sin nature. He had created in, him his, in his image. And yet, we know that because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, death and sin became a part of man's nature. And and, and, and this sin nature and the death that it brings was also part of the nature of Adam's kids. Even, even Seth that we're reading about. And we know that ever since then, 
this sin nature has been handed down from one generation to the next, and today it's also a part of every one of our natures. And the Bible makes it clear that we, as a result of this, we are in need of a new nature. And we know that, that since the beginning of time, the only one who has ever been born that has not had this sin nature is Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, who was born of the Virgin, the Virgin Mary. And even though we will always have this sin nature, this old sin nature with us, until the day we die, you know what, this morning we can be reminded of this and we can give thanks to God who created us for providing this opportunity through faith in Jesus Christ to have a new nature. A new nature through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And for the spiritual rebirth that we receive as our result, that we freely receive as a result of our faith in the redeeming work that Jesus did upon the cross. Now, as we continue on, one of the other things I want to point out before we begin to look at the descendants of Seth is if you notice there in verse 2, there's a, there's a unique phrase in verse 2 where it says that in addition to creating man in his likeness, God also created them male and female, and that's no surprise, but he said he created them male and female, and then having blessed them, he called them, the male and the female, he called them mankind in the day that they were created. And, you know, and this may seem like an insignificant thing. I'm going to have to get rid of this screen. I'm losing it with the sun. This may seem like a rather insignificant thing, you know, that God created man and He created woman and He called them male and female. Um, Hang on just a second. Let me get rid of this. Pardon me. Um, let's see. And it may seem, like I said, as an insignificant thing, but, the, but some Bible translations, and perhaps one that you have, like the NIV, they simply use the word here instead of mankind. They use the word man. Does anybody's translation read that way? Some mics and a few others, it reads man rather than mankind. And there's even other Bible translations that, that says that it calls them Adam. He, he, he created them male and female and he blessed them and it says and he called them Adam. And that word is probably a more accurate translation from the original Hebrew because that Hebrew word is literally the word Adam, A-W-D-A-W-M. And it's, it's where we get the name Adam or man, which is the, it's the same word. And it's the same word that's used for Adam's name as well as the word for mankind. And I point this out because what we see in this is we see that the Holy Spirit is bringing to our attention the fact that one man, listen, this is very cool, that one man and one woman, Eve, we see that they were brought together by God and they became one. And this is speaking of something much more than a physical oneness that comes as the result of, 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 of a physical, intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. And I don't believe we can fully understand the concept of how God, through this covenant of marriage, makes two one. However, it's clear, the Bible's clear on the fact that two are made one because of the institution of marriage. And because of the covenant of marriage, 
it, it, it does the supernatural thing. We have to see that marriage must be entered into seriously. And not only that, it's to be honored, and the Bible says it's to be kept until death. Remember, when the Pharisees were questioning Jesus in the New Testament about marriage and about divorce, they asked him, they said this, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Hey, thanks. Is it lawful for man to divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus responded to their question, and he did so by quoting from Genesis chapter 5, from this passage that we've been reading about here. And he said, I love it because the, the, the Pharisees were supposed to be the, the religious, they were the religious leaders. They were supposed to be the know-it-alls when it came to the things of God in the Old Testament. And, and Jesus, is in response to their question in Matthew chapter 19, quoting from the book of Genesis in verses 4 through 6, he began to say this, he says, to the, to the experts, he says, have you not read? He says, basically Jesus says, God told us, it says so, here, you should know this. He says, have you not read? He who made them in the beginning made them male and female. And he said, he said, it's for this reason <coughs> a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, Jesus would go on in, 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 in the account in Matthew, and he would continue to say, he would, really, he would answer their question, and he would, he would say that sexual immorality, adultery, or infidelity is, is an acceptable reason for divorce, biblically speaking. And we know that this is due to the fact that adultery is, 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 is it's that, it's a tearing apart of that, of that oneness that God has knitted together through the covenant and the institution of marriage that God is woven together as one. But the truth is, even when there is marital unfaithfulness, Bible teaches us that God's heart is always still for reconciliation if it is at all possible. Remember in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For the Lord God of Israel says that He hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. He says, Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Listen, guys, the point of all this as we read about what God's doing here, is, is the point is, is that marriage is something much more than two people coming together physically. Marriage is the institution by which God supernaturally knits a male and a female together as one in every aspect of their created being on a physical on an emotional and on a spiritual level, meaning the physical bodies of the male and the female are knit together. I don't need to go into that. The minds of a male and female are knit together. And likewise, the soul, through marriage, the souls of the male and the female are knit together. And this is why Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32 tells us that whoever commits adultery with a woman, he lacks understanding for he destroys his own soul. The bottom line is the institution of marriage is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful blessing from God. And divorce is destructive because it's a ripping apart of something that has been divinely and supernaturally made one. 
Now, before we move on, I want to remind us that even when a divorce happens, no matter what the reasons are, I want you to know that God, as a lot of you have experienced in a wonderful way, that God is able to heal. God is able to restore those who have gone through a divorce. And these things that we are talking about, guys, they're no means a condemnation for anyone who has had a divorce. Rather, the, 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 the main point of all this is so that we see how important marriage is, especially how important marriage is in the midst of a time when the institution of marriage in the day that we live in has been degraded upon and trampled upon by the sinfulness of men. Furthermore, these truths remind us that marriage and the oneness that it brings, guys, it's a work of God. It's not a work that a husband can do. It's not a work that a wife can do. It's a work of God. Unity and oneness in the marriage relationship is a work of God. God made them male and female, and He made them through the institution and the covenant of marriage. He makes them one. And therefore, the ongoing oneness, listen guys, the ongoing oneness that I think that we all desire to have, that we seek to have in our marriage relationship, <coughs> it can only be sustained by God. If God's the one that does it, He's the one that must sustain it. This is really the illustrative point that is being made by Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 4, verse 12, where it talks about the strength two people have when they are together right? Two are stronger than one, but also how that bond, that unity of two is strengthened and further unity is brought forth, a unity that is not easily broken, it says, when there's that third strand that's woven together, meaning God who braids the two together and holds them as one. Now, if we look back going on a little bit further, and again in verse 3 here, and going on to verse 5, one of the things that also needs to be pointed out as we look at this genealogical record is a repeated statement, and he died. I know I read it one time there in um, verse 5, and kind of ended there where it says, and he died. But if you read on through, you're going to notice that this phrase, and he died, is repeated with each person. With each individual counted, we see that same depressing statement, and he died. Really, all except for one. And you can look ahead to, to verse 24 where Enoch is mentioned. And, and I'll get to him there in just a minute as why he um, was not reported as have dying. But these repeated statements, they remind us, if we look at them in context of what we've been reading, they remind us that because of Adam's sin and death, or because of Adam's sin, Death was now reigning over mankind. Something had changed. Remember, God had spoken to Adam and Eve, and He told them if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that they sinned against God, so He said, surely you will die. On that day, you will die. So here in verse 5, we see that fa the, really the sad fulfillment of this when it says that Adam died and then, and then so on. And then like Adam, so did his son Seth. And, and so did son's, <coughs> excuse me, Seth's son Enosh. And so did Enosh's son Canaan. And so on and so on and so on. In fact, it's always been this way as far as I can tell with, with, except for two Records that we found, where we can find in the Bible. Two exceptions to this 
in the Bible. One, Enosh, who is, or Enoch, who is, who is mentioned there in verse 24. And then we, it tells us that he was taken by God. He did not die. He was taken by God. And also, in a, in a similar kind of way, we know that the prophet Elijah, who according to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, was also taken up to heaven by God. And, and it says it describes that taking up as if he was taken up in a whirlwind. Now, I'm sure you've all heard of who Mark Twain is. You guys know Mark Twain. And um, you've probably heard this quote that, that has become famous that was made by Mark Twain, who said, two things are for certain in this life. Anybody? Death and taxes. <laughs> and without a doubt, death is a part of the life that we that, that is a part of this life that we will not escape, the Bible tells us, unless Jesus comes back before we die. And this is due to the fact, this is a simple fact, that we're under the same curse. The Bible tells us that, that, as, that, 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 that as a result of sin, death came in. And, and it also tells us, we know this, that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we know from the reminder given to us in verse um, 23 of Romans chapter 6, it tells us that the wages of sin, which everybody who has done, is death. So we, because of our sin, can be sure that death is coming. In fact, the Bible tells us that our days are numbered. Think about that. Our days are numbered. And the, gene and in, 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 in the genealogy here in these verses, if you read through them, they're really an example of how our days are numbered. When we read here that each person's life is accounted for by this phrase, so all of the days of Seth, so all of the days of Canaan, so all the days of on and on and Jared. And it gives a number, but it shows us that there's an accounting, there's a numbering. Their days are accounted. <clears throat> now, many years ago, I discovered a website called deathclock.com. And this website will allow for you, you should go do it, deathclock.com. This website will allow for you to enter in certain information about yourself. And then with that information, some kind of algorithm is, is formed, and, and the death clock will estimate for you your day of death. In doing so, there's a pop-up that comes upon your screen when you click enter with that information. And with that pop-up, there's a countdown clock that begins to tick. And it begins to count down the estimated time that you have left to live. And when I did this again, just the other day, it predicted my day of death as April 21st, 2043, which means if this is right, and I, I kind of broke it down as far as me accounting or me numbering my days, and again, this is, this is not to be morbid, it's just if this is right, that means that I have about 312 months to live. That doesn't sound like a very long time. Or how about this, 9,490 days. Are you kidding me? 9,490 days left to live. 
And I have to say that for just a moment, I thought about leaving that clock up on my computer as it ticked down. Just left it there so that I could, so that I could watch in the, in the days that I have left these seconds flying off the clock as it counts down to zero. And I thought about doing this because truly, guys, the reality of our own death and the reminder that our days are numbered should help us realize, it should help us understand just how short this life is. And just how fast it's passing away. Because when we're aware of this, I think it helps us to better take advantage of the time that we've been given. The days that we've been allowed to live. However many they are. You know, in fact, some of these same, same thoughts are expressed in the Psalms. First in Psalm 39, verses 4-5, through where David, he writes and he says, He says, Show me, O Lord, my life's end. And the number of my days, let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Each man's life, David says, is but a vapor, a breath. And then again in Psalm 90, verse 12, which was written by Moses, who said this, he said, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In verse 6, if you look, if you want to read on with me, it says, So Seth, he lived 105 years, and he begot a son whose name was Enosh. And he begot Enosh. Seth lived 807 years after he begot Enosh, and he had sons and daughters. And in verse 8, it says, So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. And after he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years, and he had sons and daughters, and so all the days of Enosh were 905 years. And he died, and Canaan lived 70 years and begot um, Mahalael. And after he begot Mahalael, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalael lived 65 years and begot Jared. Verse 16. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Jared lived 162 years and he begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and he had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years, and he begot Methuselah. Now, as we continue on through the rest of the verses in this chapter and um, bring or begin to look at these descendants of Seth, I want to again point out to you for a way of reminder, because it's important to where we're going, that Seth's name, and hopefully you guys, maybe you can at least take notes there on the handout that I gave you, because I'm going to paint a picture for you here in a little bit that, that you're going to want these these the meanings of these names but Seth's name means granted or appointed for compensation and as we go through these other names in this genealogy I'm going to explain what they mean and when we come to the end of all of the meanings of these names we're going to see a cool picture that really spells out the gospel message for example if you look there in verses six or eight we're told that Seth he begot Enosh and, and this name, Enosh, it means man or humanity. 
And not man-like in the sense with that Adam that we read about earlier. This is, this, this is a Hebrew word for man or for humanity that speaks really of frailty, of weakness. It refers to that fact that we in our humanity are subject to death. That's really that, the totality of that name, Enosh. Weak, frail, subject to death. And as I previously pointed out, all of humanity is subject to death. And then if you look next in verses 9 through 11, we're told about the son of Enosh, whose name was Canaan, which simply means, his name means possession of sorrow. And the fact of the matter is, is that, is that sorrow or hopelessness is what we possess if, if all we have to look forward to in this life is death. And, and sadly, we know that there's a lot of people out there who do not believe in, 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 in Jesus Christ. They don't believe in God and then the life after this life. And they, they, they are possessors of sorrow because they have no hope beyond this life. All they have to look forward to is death. As we read on in verses 12 through 14, we're told that Canaan begot a son named Mahalel, which means that name means praised of God or from the presence of God. Then in verses 15 through 17, Mahalel begot Jared, whose name means descendant, specifically one who comes down. And we know that from the presence of God, as we reflect upon Jesus Christ, that a descendant of God was sent down to us. Also in verses 18 through 20, it tells us that Jared begot Enoch, which means dedicated, set apart, or appointed. And, and, and God's descendant, Jesus Christ, who was sent down, we know that he was dedicated. We know that he was anointed, that he was set apart and appointed by God for a very specific divine purpose. And then lastly, in verse 21, it says that Enoch begot Methuselah, whose name means sending forth, or literally dying he shall send forth. And we know such was the case with Methuselah, if you, is, that, is that we know that he lived long enough to be able to, to firsthand pass on a knowledge of God that would have been handed down to him personally or could have been handed down personally to him from Adam. And that's one of the reasons why I gave you that handout. And if you want to look at that handout, you see these lifespans of these people who are mentioned in this genealogical account and how they overlap one another how these men and these lifespans overlap one another and you get a better picture of how this works and how, how through Methuselah's life, a bridge was established between Adam, the first man, and all the way to Noah from the creation to the flood. But when we consider the meaning of the name, we see clearly of, 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 of Methuselah's name we see how it also perfectly fits together into this picture that is being painted for us of the gospel, of God's plan of salvation and promise to redeem His creation that was first given in Genesis chapter 3. And when we take the mention of Enoch's name, which, which points us to the descendant of God who was sent down, we find the purpose of the one whom God would send within Methuselah's name, which means dying he shall send forth. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought as we continue on and kind of wrap this up because we're going to come back to it. But if you look at verse 24, there's like this interruption in this genealogical account. 
there's an interruption and we're given a brief commentary on Enoch who begot Methuselah. And it says to us in verse 24 that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And Enoch is a picture for us of the rapture of the church, which is an event that is accounted in passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which tells of how God, coming really soon, I believe, He's going to send the Lord Jesus to us to take us, those of us who, who have put our faith in Him, those who remain alive, that He's going to take us here before the time of tribulation, which is the second judgment that is to come upon the earth. And when we read here about Enoch, we see that God removed Enoch before the flood and He saved him from the judgment that was to come. It says, because, here's the cool thing, guys, because Enoch walked with God. I heard a cool story once about a mom who had asked her daughter what she had learned in Sunday school. I'm sure all you guys do that, right, with your kids. What would you learn today in Sunday school? And the daughter replied, well, we learned about Enoch and how he walked with God and God took Enoch. The little girl went on to explain that every day, every day God would come by Enoch's house and he would say to Enoch, would you like to walk with me today? And Enoch would come out of his house and he'd, he, he, he would go down to the gate and he would go walking with God. Well, Enoch, Enoch got to the place where he enjoyed walking with God, with God so much that he would actually begin to wait at the gate of his house every day for God to come by. And God would come along and he would say, hey, Enoch, let's take a walk. Then one day God came by and said, Enoch, let's take a, a, a long walk. I have so much that I want to talk to you about. So many things that I want to tell you. And so God and Enoch, they went walking and walking and walking until finally Enoch said, it's getting late in the afternoon and I'd better get back home. But God said to him, he said, Enoch, you're closer to my home than you are to your home, so why don't you come home with me? And so Enoch went home with God. Now, that obviously doesn't have really any doctrinal probably truth to it, but it's a good picture for us of, of walking with God. And, and as we continue to walk with God, as those who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is coming a day when God comes back with us, and as we continue to walk with Him, where we're going to be closer to Him and to eternity in our hearts and in our minds than, and letting go of this world, and, and, and then God's going to take us to be with Him. Paul wrote about Enoch in the book of Hebrews and he said this, he said in chapter 11, verse 5, he said, by faith Enoch was taken so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to point out a passage of scripture to you, and I'm not going to read it, but in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 3 through 12, I would encourage you and challenge you to go and read that today, because when it comes to the promises of God, the rewards of God, the promised rewards of God for those who walk with him, that passage of scripture has a pretty good list of what those promises are. Now as we close and wrap this up and the worship team comes up, prepares for the, the last song, if you look at verse 25, it says, 
And Methuselah lived 187 years and he begot Lamech. And, and after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 700 years and, and 80, or 782 years and he had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. As we continue on through the names, the meaning of these names, Lamech means powerful. And if we put all this in the context together of these names in, in light of what we know about the gospel message and also of what, the, what is being revealed to us in the names of these genealogical accounts or in this genealogical account, I want to go over this and kind of bring it all, all together because first there's Seth, right? Listen, guys, Seth names, names mean granted or appointed for compensation. And we see that, that, that man was granted or appointed for compensation as we go through this because humanity, it says, was subject to death. Enosh. Subject to death and subject to possess sorrow, mankind was, Canaan. Yet the praised one, Mahel, from the presence of God, descended down, Jared, who was dedicated or set apart, Enoch, to be the man of dying, Methuselah, powerful, Lamech, to bring rest and to bring comfort. Noah, verse 28, or verse 29, and he called his name, the son of Methuselah, Noah, saying, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years, and he had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Lamech were 770 years, and he died, and Noah was 500 years. And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Noah's name means breast. <coughs> Noah's name brings, means to bring rest and comfort. And really, guys, that's where we're going to end because that's where we're at. As the sons of God, as the descendants of Seth, as those who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, this is true for us. Even though we are subject to death and we can be filled with sorrow, God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring us rest and comfort. The descendants of God who came from the presence of God who was set apart to be the man of dying, who is powerful to bring rest and to comfort those to believe upon him and to walk with him, receive comfort and rest. This chapter is the end of what we refer to as the first section of the book of Genesis, which deals specifically with the creation account and, and important things surrounding it. Next week when we begin chapter 6, we're going to look at a new section that goes on through chapter 9. And in so, we're going, to we're, going to, we're going to address the destruction of all that was created, all except for one man, Noah, and his family. And we know that God also saved a bunch of animals through him. So that's where we're going to be at next week. I encourage you to come back. Why don't you guys stand and we'll pray and worship the Lord with one last song. Father, thank you again for this time together. God, thank you for the opportunity that we'll have to break bread together and eat a meal and to, to, to have fellowship in your name. God, we love you and we thank you for this time, for these truths. We ask that you would bless us. Remind us, God, that we have comfort in you. In Jesus' name, amen.